1: Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. Okay, actually, I'm not ready to do the whole gospel reading yet, but I really wanted to read that line right after that song. Isn't it something? How long, we ask, and Jesus offers us a story about praying always and not losing heart. We're going to get to that in a second. Hi, I'm Remy. My pronouns are they, them. I'm the apprentice evangelist here at Galileo Church, and this might be my last time preaching before I go on parental leave in a few months, which is really weird. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad to be preaching tonight in this series on parables from the middle to end of Luke's gospel. We've called this series Tell It Slant, and one way to articulate the thesis of this series is that Jesus is funny. (laughs) That's why we decorated the stage with flamingos and bright colors and we even kind of joked about wearing bozo noses while we preached to remind ourselves and each other how funny these stories are. I'll warn you though, this sermon's not going to be quite as funny as some of the ones we've enjoyed this series. (laughs) I read somewhere this week that parables are like fishing lures. They are full of attractive features, feathers, and bright colors with a sharp little barb right at the end. And Luke gives us a barb this week with his pre- and post-parable explanations about what Jesus means. So the parables do have funny elements, and you'll hear them, but Luke wants to make sure we don't miss the point, so I also have to make sure we don't miss the point, so damn it, Luke. Before I read these parables though, I want to introduce the characters because these parables use stock characters. You know, like characters about whom we already know a lot of stories and so the storyteller doesn't have to explain everything about their background and personality in order for you to know basically who they are. Like when I say damsel in distress or girl next door or hooker with a heart of gold and... uh, We don't need to unpack the sexism and all those phrases tonight. (laughs) See, stock characters are problematic, but they get the point across quickly. So these two parables together have four stock characters. We've got a widow, we've got an unjust judge, we've got a Pharisee, and we've got a tax collector. So we're all familiar with the first two, and they mean basically the same thing now as they did back then. A a widow is a woman without any status or resources, dependent on social welfare for her health and well-being. And a judge who's unjust, who doesn't want to give her that welfare, either because he suspects she's gaming the system or because he just doesn't care, or both. And we're also familiar with the second set of stock characters, but the meanings around those have kind of changed for us since when Jesus first introduced them. So I want to reintroduce them to you. Because when we hear the word Pharisee, we think of a self-righteous, goody-two-shoes, maybe a hypocrite. Um, Or if you've been around here for a while, maybe you think VRP or very religious person, which is its own stock character, right? And still kind of smells like self-righteousness. And when we hear tax collector, we think of... Some of our friends from the Bible, Zacchaeus and Levi, who are like humble and penitent followers of Jesus. But that is not what Jesus' audience thought of. So for the original audience of this story, a Pharisee was a VRP, yes, but they were also wise and respected religious leaders. They were usually thought of as generous and good people. They taught that everyone, not just people who lived close to the temple, could be included in God's law. They were respected leaders in their community. We might even think of them as a little progressive, maybe? So some analogous stock characters today might be like a teacher or a librarian fighting to keep banned books accessible, or a firefighter who like saves kittens and babies and ends up in the newspaper for it. Or maybe someone like Oprah or Jonathan Van Ness, you know, someone in the public eye who uses their influence for the purest sort of good. So whichever one of those strikes you as the most pure of heart and respectable leader, picture that person when I say Pharisee. And on the other hand, when the original audience heard tax collector, they were filled with righteous anger. (laughs) And I do mean righteous because tax collectors colluded with empire to make financial gain on the backs of their own neighbors. They stole from their fellow people to make a profit. Tax collectors were seen as, and often were, selfish and greedy, and people in this audience had likely been personally affected by corrupt tax collecting. So some possibilities for an analogous stock character today might include Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, or maybe a greedy and corrupt politician, just think of the one you can't stand the most that just really sets your teeth on edge. So when I read tax collector, think of that person. Okay, we know all our characters. I think we're finally ready to hear the gospel reading from Luke chapter 18, verses one through 14. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, Since this widow keeps bothering me, I'll grant her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by continually coming. There's a footnote in the NRSV here with an alternate translation. So that she may not finally come and slap me in the face. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to God's chosen ones who cry out to God day and night? Will God delay in helping them? I tell you, God will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, you've got your character in mind, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So basically these stories present two different postures of prayer. One that is confident and determined and persistent, where the prayer knows what she wants and is determined to get it. She's gotta be bad, she's gotta be bold, she's gotta be wiser. And one that is desperate, where the prayer is at the end of his rope and can only ask for mercy. Haven't we all been both of these prayers? The widow's asking for justice, but remember, she's not asking God for justice in this story, she's asking an unjust judge. And Jesus makes it clear that this judge does not represent God in this parable. Will not God grant justice to God's chosen ones who cry out to God day and night? Will God delay long in helping them? I tell you, God will quickly grant justice to them. God will not delay the way the unjust judge does, Jesus says. The stock character of the widow is the picture of innocent need. She's nonpartisan. No one would deny that she deserves justice and she should have it. And yet she has to beg and beg and beg. She knows where the judge lives, see, and she is not afraid to use that knowledge to get what she needs and deserves. And no one is arguing that she doesn't need and deserve it, except for the judge, who is just comically horrible. He's not partisan either because no one thinks he's a good guy. (laughs) It's unfathomable the way he just admits right out loud that he has no fear of God and no respect for anyone. It's unfathomable, and yet, we've seen it before, right? We all know someone who deserves help from the government. Not just deserves it, but is legally entitled to it. I mean, she is the exact reason these laws were written. They were penned with exactly her in mind. And yet she has to show up day after day after day, begging the powers that be to just do their jobs. God is not like that, Jesus says. God will grant justice quickly. And on the other hand, we have this character that everyone loves to hate. He doesn't deserve any favors from government, charity, or divine power. He's wealthy and he got that way by making other people poor and miserable. No one thinks that this guy deserves, uh, oh, what is it he's asking for again? Oh, oh, right, mercy. No one thinks he deserves mercy. Oh, wait, I guess that's what mercy is. (laughs) Undeserved, by definition. If he deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. And I guess that's all he really asks for. I guess he knows there's not any help left that he does deserve. Not more money, not a better job, not a way to stop stealing from his neighbors. Just mercy. And God gives it to him immediately. Well, fuck. (laughs) I warned you guys that this parable has a sharp little barb at the end. And see, it wouldn't have been so sharp if we let the tax collector be like our friend Zacchaeus so we could root for him and be happy for him. (laughs) Don't look at me. Luke made me do it. (laughs) The juxtaposition of these parables seems almost cruel. The poor widow has to get up every day and tie her shoes and look presentable, but not too presentable. Respectable, but not wealthy. You know, good enough to deserve justice, but not so good she looks like she might not need it. She has to knock on a judge's door and beg. She has to ask this asshole to please save her life. She comes this close to slapping him in the face before he finally does it. And then some other asshole, we could even pretend they're the same asshole, the tax collector could just as well be this judge, showing up to the temple, praying one simple prayer, and he goes home justified. I guess both of these parables are contrasting human logic with God's logic. The judge delays as long as he can, but God wouldn't delay, Jesus says. And if even this judge eventually granted justice, how much more will God grant justice? And in the second case, if God will grant justification even to this scumbag, then we have no need to fear that God wouldn't do the same for us, even on our very worst days. In the second case, even reasonable people like you and me might delay at least a little bit, but God doesn't. God will quickly grant justice, Jesus says. And yet, God does delay, right? I mean, how long did the Israelites cry out under their enslavement before God remembered? Like, had God forgotten? How long did they cry out for return to their holy land from exile? How long did they cry out for a Messiah, for liberation from Roman Empire? And then their Messiah didn't even really give them that. For that matter, what about that widow? Don't you think she was also praying while she was begging that judge? Don't you think she was begging God too? And not for a gift like mercy, but for well-deserved justice. And we know God's delays all too long. How long must we cry out for safety for trans kids and the parents who love them? For black lives to matter? For justice to roll down like waters? How long must we wait for diagnoses and pray for cures? How long till these tears are gone? And maybe that's why Jesus wonders. When the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Cause he knows it's gonna be a long while before he returns to this mortal coil and he's just not sure how long we'll hang on in the meantime. I guess he knows that God's quickly is a little different from our quickly. (laughs) 2000 years and counting y'all and here we are still gripping this faith by our fingernails sometimes with confidence like the widow, like when we march in parades and we declare that God's love is real. It is for you. It is worth it. Or when we trek out to this barn every week or fire up the interwebs from our bedroom to get with our beloveds and remind each other the universe has a direction. It bends toward justice. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. does. But sometimes we just don't have that persistence in us anymore. Sometimes all we can do is beat our breasts and say, God, have mercy on us and on this broken and hurting world. Sometimes all we can do is trust that God is counting our tears, as the psalmist said, keeping them in a bottle, counting our tossings at night when we can't sleep, making tick marks in column. This insomniatic toss goes in the does she love me back column. That toss was, is it cancer? This tear fills the bottle labeled, can't we ever be reconciled? And that one goes in the jar that says, am I really doing the right thing? Sometimes we're just not up for knocking on doors. Some of our prayers are not the sort that would ever get the attention of a judge who has no fear of God or respect for anyone. But they do get the attention of God. Maybe that's what Jesus means by quickly. Maybe we don't get our justice quickly all the time, but God will not delay to hear us at the very least. God is listening, counting, keeping a ledger of our wants and needs and pains. After all, I guess that's how God heard the prayers of the Israelites finally, who groaned under their enslavement. If you wanna refresh your memory of that story, you can check out the last few verses of Exodus chapter two. 400 years after God's covenant with their ancestors, they had forgotten how to pray, forgotten even who God was. But it turns out you actually can't forget how to pray, because even if you don't know how to pray, God still knows how to hear you. You're weeping, you're tossing, you're groaning. Even as this parable encourages us to pay attention to our praying, implying maybe that there are better and worse ways to do it, there's still the promise that God will hear us no matter what. We can always pray better, I'm saying, but we can never pray wrong. I'm still not sure that's a sufficient explanation for Jesus' promise that God will act quickly. (laughs) It just doesn't seem substantiated, either in that first parable, or in the rest of scripture, or in our lives. Although in the next parable, our prayer won't even have gotten home before his prayers answered. Be merciful to me, a sinner, he asks, and goes home justified. Maybe not liberated from his corrupt job. Maybe not with a plan for financially sustaining his family without continuing in his greedy work. Maybe it takes God some time to intervene in the mundane workings of this broken world in order to enact justice, but justification God grants without hesitation. Forgiveness is ours, always, immediately. God might delay to save us, but God never delays to love us. Yeah, this sermon isn't funny. <laughs> it's heavy, because it, it has to do with prayer and unanswered prayer, And I know lots of you probably have a prayer in mind, and my raising it to consciousness and pointing out its unansweredness feels like a sharp little barb. It feels that way to me too. And maybe there's some comfort in knowing at least that God hears us and that forgiveness and justification are immediate, that we never have to wait on God's love. But we still need that justice. So I couldn't figure out how to end this sermon. (laughs) Thrice in a row now, three of our preachers have wondered how to conclude. Let's just sing it out, Katie said. (laughs) And then John confessed that his parable left him with more questions than answers and asked us, what do you think? (laughs) And now here I am in the same dilemma as my colleagues because parables don't lend themselves to neat conclusions. But is there some way I can patch up the sting of that fishing barb? Can I offer some kind of balm for the hurt I've uncovered tonight? Maybe the answer for this one is a little on the nose. We have to pray. Will you pray with me? Oh God, after reading these two stories, we hardly know how we should pray. Should we boldly knock on your door and demand justice? Okay, here we go. What the fuck, God? (laughs) Why do you delay? Jesus said you weren't like this unjust judge, so why are we still down here begging for justice? Where are you in the school board and library board elections? Where are you in the gun lobbies? Where are you in the protection of trans kids and their parents who love them? How long will you delay? Must we slap you in the face? (laughs) Or should we collapse at your feet and murmur one simple sentence of confession and repentance because it's all we can get out? Okay, here goes. God, have mercy on us, for we participate in all the brokenness I've named. We know that you'll grant that second request before the first. And we're grateful for the mercy, really. But seriously, we still want that justice.
2: Amen. So if we extended the reading from Luke 18, just a couple more verses, we would get to this. We would have the tax collector and the Pharisee walking down from the Temple Mount. And then the very next thing, verse 15, people were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for the babies and said, Let the littlest children come to me, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the reign of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the reign of God as a little child will never enter it. And I wonder what it was in Luke's mind that had him place the story about Jesus and the babies right after these two parables about prayer. Babies don't pray. I'll tell you what babies do. They keep asking and asking and asking and demanding what they know they need. They don't stop until they get what they need. They are inherently persistent. And you know what else is true about babies, about the littlest children? They come asking, asking, asking with entirely empty hands. They come with nothing. They come only asking, what do you have for me? I have nothing for you. It's like asking for mercy. It can't be traded for. There's no exchange. So yeah, we pray like little babies, like little children. We're invited to come tonight just like they come. We're invited to come to this table persistently every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. Do you get it? Justice maybe not, but justification here granted before you get home tonight and you come here with your hands cupped ready to receive the body of Christ you bring nothing to this table no deserving no trade you just come like little children church and we've got a lot of them showing us exactly how to do it right
0: thanks be to God let's pray Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal, or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.